Welcome to Quad Doc Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. We're now in Season 2, Episode 22. The umbrella concept is under the pines, keeping the main thing the main thing. Under the pines is a reference to my morning devotions, where I spend time under the seven pine trees that border the back of our property. But on June 8th, I was reading in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 23. And I believe at this time that there are a lot of people who are turning to the book of Daniel and chapter 9 and making this prayer, Daniel's prayer, their prayer. And definitely, this is my prayer, where I am right now in my walk with Christ. Let me read the prayer to you, and then we'll talk about it for just a moment. Daniel writes, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord to prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God, who keeps His gracious covenant with those who love Him and keep His commands, we have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from Your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, and all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown toward you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following His instructions that He set before us through His servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against Him. He has carried out His words that He spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Verse 13, Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us, For the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. Verse 15. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is to this day, we have sinned. We have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, 
For because of our sins and the iniquity of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Verse 17, Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. Before we go any further, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and I've got permission from the publisher to actually use excerpts such as this. So the passage I've read, I've done it with full legal written authority, but I do recommend the translation because it's outstanding in regards to the original languages. So that was Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 23. But before going further, I want to point out a few things that stand out in this passage that really have application for me today. And Daniel says, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord, the prophet Jeremiah. But Daniel, being a wise person, he understood that in God's word is wisdom and understanding, and it gives insight and revelation. And so Daniel himself believed that the prophet Jeremiah really existed and that he had something specific to say regarding how long the desolation of Jerusalem was going to last because the people had been carried off into captivity. And Daniel was now under the rule and reign of Ahasuerus, the king over the Chaldean kingdom. But God's word speaks to us, folks, and it has something to say for us in the midst of this extreme agitation that we all find ourselves in. But it starts off, and Daniel says that he prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And so the first thing that comes to Daniel's heart is an attitude of confession, of making things right with his holy God. And in the confession of his sin and his shortcomings, he identifies with the entire sins of all the people of Israel. And it's not just a they equation, it's a we equation. And in the midst of this confession of his sin and the way that he's done wrong, we've done wrong, the rulers have done wrong, even the children who are scattered across the globe at this time who were not a part of the collective whole but had been separated, they've done wrong, but yet he appeals to the compassion and forgiveness <clears throat> that come from our holy God. And so it's with great encouragement that as he becomes oppressed by the weight of his sin, 
he's mindful that the God of creation is compassionate and he's forgiving. And then he goes on to say that the promised curse written in the law of Moses. And Daniel understands that God has written down certain things that have full application that cannot be avoided. And he understands that the promised curse written in the law of Moses is something that cannot be bypassed, that the children of Israel have fallen under this curse. And so he goes on to say that we've sinned. We've acted wickedly. It's our sins, the iniquities of our ancestors, that have placed us in this position of ridicule. As we look at the nation, the United States, we see how we're being made a ridicule among the nations of the the world. We stand as a joke, the laws of our nation cast to the side. What's up is down, is what down, what's down is up. And he goes on to say that I'm not making this appeal based on our righteous acts. What he means by that is, Father, I know that we don't have a leg to stand on within ourselves because we do not have acts of righteousness, but he's making the appeal for forgiveness, for restoration, for cleansing and correction based on God's abundant compassion. And the encouraging thing on down is when the angel Gabriel comes to him a second time, Gabriel reminds him that from the moment he issued his petitions, from the moment that Daniel opened his mouth to ask God for forgiveness, to ask God for his intervention, that the answer went out. I want to remind you that at times you can pray And you feel as if your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, as they say, or you feel that your prayers are just landing on the floor with no consequence. Yet when we pray and we appeal to a compassionate, holy, caring God, that he answers our prayers, the prayers are answered immediately. We may not see the ramifications of those answered prayers immediately, but we need to keep in mind that God is not sluggish. He is here. He stands ready and willing to forgive. He stands ready and willing to restore. And that's his mission. That's his attitude. That's his action towards the creation that he loves. Gabriel reminds Daniel, as a child of God, he says, you are treasured by God. Folks, when we turn to the Heavenly Father, through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, that places us in a position to where we are highly treasured by the God of the universe. That is a fantastic place to be. In the midst of an agitated world, when we can say that we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we have the comfort, we have the assurance that we are treasured by God. There's so much to absorb As wickedness increases, the call back to God becomes a shout. I encourage you what has been ordained and planned through God's providential care over his planet will come to pass. He is in the one, he is the one in control of this narrative. He is at the helm of this mayhem. Don't let that statement confuse you. 
But keep in mind, this is my father's world. The old hymn we used to sing said, this is my father's world. At times, it may appear that it's Satan's world, yet the truth is, this is my father's world, and he is at the helm of this ship. So the mayhem that's occurring in the United States and France and across the globe, it has the appearance of things being out of control, but I want to remind you, my friend, that God is absolutely in control The one who spoke the worlds into existence is in control of his universe and the planet Earth. The wickedness of man deceitfully leads him, man, to think that he is in control, that he is the pilot of spaceship Earth. Yet, the God of all creation mocks arrogant, evil man and scoffs at them. So, here we sit. What do we do? I want to remind you, Go back and keep the main thing, the main thing. And so for just a moment, I want to go over seven foundational, immutable actions that need to be a part of us. We can't change the entire world. You or I may never be placed into a position to have global impact, but we all have a purpose in this life that God has given each of us to live. And so I want to focus our attention. This is not an exhaustive list, but I want to focus our attention on seven things that come immediately to my mind that we need to take action. For number one, guard your personal spiritual integrity and health. Guard your personal spiritual integrity and health. And it comes down to a couple of simple things. First of all, reading God's word putting his word in our minds, our hearts, the core of who we are. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, we're mindful that God says that we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. And so here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have this beautiful picture of the way that God's word, the Bible, the Christian Bible, should be an integral part of our daily life. And it gives us this beautiful image of having it you know, attached literally to our bodies. The Orthodox Jews, they will wear the phylactery on their head, and it's a little box that has Scripture verses contained inside the box. That's taking this this Scripture, uh, taking it uh, literally. My mind slipped a gear there for just a second, but taking it literally, not figuratively. But yet, the point of it is, is that it should be in our minds. But then not only that, it should be at the forefront of our living to where people that we come in contact with, that it's as if we've written it over the doorpost of our homes so that as they come in contact with us, they know that we stand on the Word of God. But also that image of it being out at your your gate to the community, out on the road, is a public testimony. 
of the Word of God. So it's the Bible permeating your heart, your mind, your soul, your family, your relationships, and the world. Psalm 119.11 says, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you during this time of great turmoil, that as we put the word of God in our heart, as we memorize it, as we take it into our core, that it gives us that power and protection against sin. Also, it gives us direction. There on in 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path, a light on my path. It gives us clarity as we live our lives on how we should walk and where we should go. The second thing, not only reading God's word, but when we guard our personal spiritual integrity and health, we need to spend time talking to God, praying. The Bible says pray without ceasing. We have that image of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. It was his norm that before daylight, Jesus would get up and he would go up on the mountain to pray. We have that image of him on the very night that he was betrayed, he had gone to the Mount of Olives to pray. It was in the middle of the night. He went to pray. And so just an acrostic, I've always used something I learned when I was a kid that can help you in formulating your prayers to the Heavenly Father is take the word acts, A-C-T-S, acts. The first thing is adoration. So as we pray, just spending that time right up front adoring God for who he is and for what he's done and for his majesty and his power. C, confession, when we come into contact with God and all of his majesty and glory and power, we are, are immediately, as Daniel was, overwhelmed with our guilt and our sin and our imperfections. And so we take time to confess those things to God. As we feel his forgiveness and we feel his love in spending that special time alone with him in prayer, the next thing is T, thanksgiving. As we see his majesty, his glory, and his power, and we confess our sin to him, then it's immediately obvious that there are things that we're thankful for. So thanksgiving. And finally, supplication, interceding for needs in our family, in our own lives, the needs of those around us, the needs on our planet, prayer for our world leaders, prayer for our state leaders. And so we have the model prayer there in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, where Christ himself models prayer. So number one is to guard your personal spiritual integrity and health. It's not exhaustive, but two things that come to mind on that is reading God's word, putting it in your mind, putting it in your heart making it known to those around you, and prayer without ceasing. Number two is to walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, not in our own power. Folks, in our own power, we do not have the capability to uphold or to hold up under this intense turmoil that has come to our nation. Without Jesus Christ in my life, I don't know how I would make it during this great time of distress. Make no mistake about it. This is a great time of distress. Never in the history of the world have we seen the totalitarian control sweep across the globe unchecked without protest. We see the protests regarding racial concerns, 
but not a protest regarding the fact that the local city, state, and local governments have taken the bull by the horns and are exercising intense draconian control. Never in the history of the world. And to shut down the economy with just a word. And so these are terrible times. There's no doubt about it, folks. But if you're trying to make it through this time alone, if you're attempting to make it through this time in your own strength, you need help. There are so many people across our country that are taking desperate measures. Suicide is through the roof. The family violence is through the roof during this time of tumult. And to that, I say the second thing that is immutable action is that you must walk by the Spirit if you're going to have success, if you're going to have the peace that passes understanding, which is guaranteed to us even in the midst of difficult times. And so what is the manifestation of the presence of the Spirit in your life? Galatians 5, 22 and 23 tells us the manifestation of God's Spirit in your life is the presence of supernatural love, supernatural joy, supernatural peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all super important, especially when we are being squeezed to the point of being unbearable, to be able to manifest true love when there's hate, to manifest joy when there's such grief and sadness, to know peace when there is such turmoil, to show patience when there's such impatience, and to show kindness, though many people do not in their own humanness deserve it because of their actions. Yet God says we're supposed to be kind. We can only manifest the kindness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Goodness, doing right, even when it's hard. Faithfulness, staying the course, being faithful to God, not abandoning the faith in the midst of this terrible time. Gentleness and self-control. So the third thing, be properly clothed for action. So number one, guard your personal spiritual integrity and health. Read God's word, pray without ceasing. Number two, you've got to live your life in the spirit. The only way to live the life in the spirit is to have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Number three is be properly clothed for action. We, we cannot go to a, a football game based in a baseball uniform. There's no way. Let's see how that works for you on the playing field for the Dallas Cowboys, which I don't claim any ownership to. I just happen to be from Dallas, Texas. But can you imagine if you were to go to a football game dressed in the Texas Rangers baseball uniform? To be honest, I've been to many Ranger games, and I've had the privilege a few times at sitting right at third base, sitting right at home plate uh, through the gift of dear people who care for me and my wife. Side note, Uh, years of marriage. I never knew my wife is a sports fan. I've never really been much of a sports fan, but I came home one night uh, after some ministry event and my wife was balled up there on the couch, all comfy and uh, watching the Texas Rangers. And I heard the crack of a bat and I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm watching the game. And I said, you like watching baseball? And she said, yes. And I said, since when? 
But by that time, we had been married a long time. But, you know, we find out new things about our spouses all along. But, but can you imagine if you went to, literally went onto the field uh, for a starting game and you were dressed in a Texas Rangers baseball uniform that, uh, you know, the, the Texas Rangers baseball uniforms, they look sort of like pajamas. They're kind of soft and fluffy, and most of the baseball players, you know, they all have a certain build. They're kind of a little bit pudgy, and uh, they have a weird stance. And when you watch them, when you watch them warm up before a game, their warm up consists mainly of coming out of the dugout. They'll go to the middle of the field, kind of jog out there a little bit, not even really a sprint. You see them kind of winded, and of course I'm kind of joking, but it's how I perceive it. Then they jog back to the dugout and go get their sunflower seeds or their big chew and wait for the game. So you show up to a football game and you're wearing your baseball pajamas and your spikes and your baseball pajamas. It's just not going to work. And in the same way, folks, we've got to be geared up for the game that we're in. And it's the most serious of all games, the game of life. We've got to be properly clothed for action, properly clothed for action. The Bible says it this way, that we're to put on the whole armor of God. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, the apostle Paul says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with the truth, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And so, folks, this is not just for this time of turmoil that we presently find ourselves in, but this is a foundational immutable action that should be a part of our life every day that we exist. The world that we walk through prior to the Wuhan virus, prior to the racial turmoil, prior to 9-11, was and always has been and always will be until the second coming of Christ, a battlefield. We are walking in an actual battlefield, and the battle is serious. It's the battle for people's souls. We've got to sit back, and we've got to realize we've got to be prepared and to be properly clothed for action. Number four, carry out the Great Commission. So we've got to make sure we're personally intact spiritually. We're healthy spiritually. We're reading our Bible. We're praying daily. The Bible says pray without ceasing, actually. We're walking by the Spirit. God's Spirit is in control of our our thoughts, our hearts, our minds, our souls. We're properly clothed for action. We're not just waking up every morning expecting for it to be a zippity-doo-dah day. 
Instead, we wake up every morning understanding that there are going to be things that seek to dismount us from our position and take us down. But carry out the Great Commission. That is immutable. It does not matter what takes place on this planet. We, as Christians, if you're a born-again Christian, you are under the command of God to carry out his mission on this planet. And if you're a Christian, you know the passage, but I want to repeat it. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is not negotiable. I ask you a question. Are you presently carrying out the Great Commission? Are you involved in activities that are seeking to make disciples of all the nations? Are you involved in activities personally where you are seeing people come to Christ, following him in believer's baptism as a public testimony of what they're saying has happened internally? Baptism is that picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So when we take a person and we immerse them under the water, we're manifesting and giving a public testimony that says we have died to our old way. We have died to the old man. We have died to our sin, and we have been resurrected by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to walk in newness of living. And so baptism is a public testimony of what we're saying has happened internally and teaching people to observe everything that God has commanded us. So this is a non-negotiable. I've got a question for you. Are you doing that? Let me ask you, have you ever in your life ever personally led someone to a relationship in Jesus Christ? Have you sat down with them and told them how they can be saved? And did they stop and they confess their sin with their mouth and they believed in their heart that God raised them from the dead and he saved them there in your presence? Has that ever happened to you? I'm going to say a hard thing, dear friend, but if in your entire lifetime you've never opened your mouth and talked to one person about the reality of Jesus Christ and that he is the only way to leave this planet intact without going to a very real place called hell, but instead going to a very real place called heaven. If you've never done that, I want you to question where you stand with God. That's not to cast doubt into your heart, but it's to challenge you. The Apostle Peter says that we are to make our calling and our election sure. We can be in self-deception, but if in your lifetime you've never talked to one person about Jesus and offered them the cup of cold water in Jesus' name and salvation through his resurrection, you've got to ask yourself, what's going on? And you can say to me, Kenny, well, I, but I don't know what to do. In the book of Revelation, it says that they overcame him, talking about the devil. They overcame him by the power of his blood, Jesus's blood, and the word of their testimony. If you have enough knowledge to where you actually came into a living relationship with God, that's enough knowledge to pass on an understanding to the one who is lost. And so I encourage you, evaluate yourself. 
carry out the Great Commission. Open your mouth. The denomination I grew up in, some would say, oh, but I'm a, I'm a silent witness. I share Jesus by the way I live. Well, guess what? There are a lot of people across the globe who live externally the appearance of very good lives, and they have never testified that they know Jesus as their Savior. So obviously salvation comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if you're going to lead someone to Christ, it can't be just by a life well lived. It has to be by opening your mouth and carrying out the Great Commission. Number five, do real religion. James 1.27 says that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So if you want a litmus test on what real religion looks like, it's going to those who are in the, the greatest harm's way. Number six, be strong and take action. In Daniel 11.32, it says the people who know their God will be strong and take action. Joshua, God commanded him, be strong, be courageous. Don't be afraid, Joshua. You look at the associates of Daniel himself, some of the children of Israel. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they stood up to the king and said, we're not going to bow. The king had great respect for them. It bothered him to have to take action against them. But the litmus test was on, and so he took them and cast them into the fiery furnace. Had it fired up seven times hotter than it normally is, they should have been utterly destroyed. And yet God preserved them in the midst of a terrible, terrible time. So be strong and take action. Be courageous. Think of David when he was a boy with his slingshot. He ran to the battle. The children of Israel, day after day, would listen as Goliath would come out to the battleground and to shout his blasphemies. And they were terrified because he was a beast of a human being. Yet David, in his thinking, he realized who does this guy think he is? He decides to hold this Philistine giant to his words to teach him, you're not going to talk that way about our God. So be strong and take action. Understand that when God is in the picture, miraculous things happen. Miraculous things are the norm for God. So on down in 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 and 47, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defiled, defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spirit that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Dear people, during this time of tumult, during this time of great agitation, during this time of great grief and sadness and pressure beyond that which the planet has ever known, that God is saying that we need to be strong and take action. We need to be like David, and we need to run to the battle. We do not need to retreat in fear 
And that leads me to number seven, to be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. What are you and I afraid of? I've already said the verse before, but in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, the Apostle John says that they conquered him, talking about Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. Phil Robertson, the famous Duck Dynasty dad, he said, they'll have to kill me to get me to shut up about Jesus. Now, you may have a different opinion about Phil Robertson. That's your business. That attitude that says, you'll have to kill me to shut me up about Jesus is where we all should live. So I call on you. Take some time. Listen to this podcast over and over. These are foundational, immutable actions. Guard your personal, spiritual integrity and health. Read God's word. Put it in your mind. Let others know about it. Pray without ceasing. Walk by the Spirit. In other words, manifest God's presence in your life. Be properly clothed for action every day, every moment. Carry out the Great Commission. Do it now. If you've never done it, do it now. Do real religion. Go beyond yourself and go to those who are in harm's way and care for them in the love of Jesus Christ. Be strong and take action. Be bold. Go outside the harbor. Go out into the choppy seas and do exploits for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and be a bold witness for him. Dear friends, these are interesting times. Yes, and sometimes they're scary times, but guess what? Through the power of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are times that are under the control of the Almighty God. He is advancing his mission. He's advancing his will. Don't be deceived and think that Satan has got this all wrapped up. God is in control. You can know his peace today. I encourage you to turn to him in prayer and faith. And with that, my friend, until next time, I bid you peace.